Mark chapter 10, it was about being devoted, and that's G Jesus. We need to be as devoted as Christ is to his job, the good shepherd. That's what he was talking to. And we need to be just as devoted as his sheep. We need to learn to listen to what? His voice. That's what we need to be doing. And devoted to it. Devoted to the word. John chapter 11 was determined. And that's what we talked about last week. Jesus was determined to die at the Passover. So this resurrection of Lazarus was all purpose to get the Jews so that they're going to step in now. And they are going to... Uh, take Christ out. And the point is, Jesus knew the timing. He knew when he needed to die. He put all things in motion. They didn't take his life. He laid his life down. And we need to be just as determined to go to the end of our lives and die as his servants. You you, you got to go all the way to the very end. And, and that's your de uh, determination, which means you've got to be devoted to the word because that's going to give you the strength to make it to the end. You can't go part way. You got to go all the way and you just got to get stronger as you go through this. Today, we're looking at discerning. You've got to be discerning. Discernment means to perceive, recognize, apprehend. And what Jesus says in John chapter 8, 31, 32, if you continue, no, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. The truth will make you free. What's he saying? You got to. You got to stay in the word. That's how you discern it. You've got to load it into your hard drive and you got to start thinking about it. Meditating on it is what you've got to do. It's, it's, it's so important. So what we see in chapter 12 is he's going to teach us to be discerning for our eternal survival. Be discerning, not ignorant. And I kind of came up with this interesting quote on ignorance. And it was, not knowing the truth doesn't make you ignorant. That's what disciples are. We're students. We're learning constantly. We understand we don't know it all, but we are dedicated to learning more. Not knowing the truth doesn't make you ignorant. Not wanting to know the truth is what makes you ignorant. And that's what the world is spiritually. That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees are. They don't want to know the truth. They want to remain and be ignorant, right? When you, when you don't understand something, you want to dig it out to, to be ignorant, to not want to discover. Wow, you destroy yourself, you destroy people around you, right? And here's an... Because as you go through, you see they know that he's the Christ. They know, right, that he's the son of God and they're plotting to kill him. That's what John is all about. And yet when Keon's teaching in Acts chapter 3, what jumps out at me? Well, 14 to 18, he says, Peter's in the sermon says, you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life. The one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses and on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and the faith which comes through him has given this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know, 
that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. They didn't know what they were doing. It's Christ's prayer from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They approached the Old Testament with a physical, and you can't do that. You have to approach it through spiritual eyes, which Christ gives you. And that's how you can understand. And until you approach the Old Testament with the spiritual, you know, I mean, John chapter one, you know, just, I shouldn't review too much, but they sent guys to John and they say, who are you in verse 19? And he says, well, I'm not the Christ and I'm, I'm not the prophet, you know? So, well, then if you're not these guys then who are you, you know, I'm just a voice in the wilderness. And then he points out Christ to his apostles, his disciples. And in verse 41, we have found, Simon says to Peter, we have found the Messiah, which, transla which translated means Christ. And then uh, Philip and Nathaniel, Philip said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And then Nathaniel says to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You know, wow, is the job done? They know, they've seen, right? Well, they know, this is the thing that I didn't focus in on in my personal readings is they know who Christ is. But they don't know Christ. We identify the man and the office, but do we know him? And that's the point. Do you do you come to God and, and that you know and you do all the right things? Or do you get and, and stay ignorant? Or do you get to know him and study his word and absorb the word and discern the word? Because as you go through the rest of John, they're seeking to kill him because they know he's the Christ all throughout, right? Picking up stones. And by their behavior, they obviously know who Christ is that by their behavior, they don't know Christ. They have a misconception because of their physical understanding of the Old Testament, as do some denominations who think Christ is coming back and we're going to be on this planet for a thousand years and we're all going to live in, in private little homes and we're all going to continue on doing what? You know, for a thousand years on this planet? I don't think so. When Christ comes, we're going to something incredibly beautiful, called a new earth, where we're going to be given immortal bodies, and we're going to be able to walk with Christ. We're being tested now. Like, when you die, you better know your relationship. You better know you have eternal life. Because you can know this stuff. And you can know who God is through the scriptures, right? And that's your job, is to discern. And that's what Jesus is trying to get through to us. Don't just know who his office is, know who he is. And that's get into the mind of Christ. And we can know the mind of Christ through the scriptures, not as a single man and not without the Holy Spirit. But God's blessed us with his opportunity. And, and, and too, much, too often we ignore what lies right in front of us. 
So when you look at chapter 12, you really need to see he's trying to teach us how to discern, I believe, to perceive, recognize, apprehend the true purpose of Christ in your life. And we see discernment happening. Right off the bat, Jesus goes back up, right? It's six days before the Passover, so he's gone to Lazarus's home where Mary and Martha are, you know, Lazarus whom he just raised from the dead, and they're having a dinner. It is, it is the Sunday night. It is his birthday, which his birthday is the Monday, Sunday night Monday, because their days are shifted a little bit differently, which is the 10th of a bib and the 14th of a bib, uh, the Passover is on the Friday, which begins on the Thursday night, right? So they're having this party and Mary takes this pound of pure nard, which is a year's wage or 11 months wages, you know, and I don't know how they set that, but a year's wage. Like, what do we see here? She has discerned that Jesus is going to his death. She figured it out. And I think you can see in Luke chapter 10, verse 39 and 42, you can see the insight to this young lady, old lady, this sister called Mary. And it says in verse 39, Martha had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to the word. And in listening to everything that Jesus was saying, that was the most important thing. Martha wants him, her to be out helping her. And Jesus says, verse 42, there's only one thing that is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. She's focusing, she's discerning. And, and by the time Jesus shows up for this dinner, she knows he's going to die. She knows he's the Christ. And she's going to give the king a gift that's worthy of a king, which is this most expensive perfume, which, which reflects that Mary, Lazarus, and Martha were very rich. I mean, this much perfume, who, bought, who spends a whole year's salary on a bottle of perfume, right? I know a lot of women wish they could, but I mean, it's crazy. And then now just to, I was thinking like Judas, waste it. No, no, no. Now to pour it out on Christ. And what does Jesus say? Let her alone, verse 7, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. That's Sunday night. Wednesday night, they go to Simon the leper's home where she walks in, breaks the jar, pours it into his hair. Right? Yeah, Judas wanted the money for himself. But don't get, don't get off track. I think that gets us off track. It's important, but we're not going to detail the entire chapter right now. Mary is very discerning. Who, who else is discerning? Well, the people at the resurrection of, of, of Lazarus. Jumping back to chapter 11, 45, many of the Jews who came to Mary saw what he had done, what Jesus had done, believed in him. They believed, well, obviously, because they were there. They witnessed the resurrection. And, and the other verse to look at is then chapter 12, verse 17, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. For this reason also, people went to and met him because they had heard he had performed this sign. So the people that were there that believed when they went to Jerusalem, they were sharing it. 
they couldn't help but talk about the resurrection of Lazarus. So who is this guy? He's got to be the Christ. He's going to be the greatest king we ever had. Not only can he feed us, right? Feed the 5,000, he can feed 100,000. He not only can feed us, but he can heal us all. If we go to battle and they're thinking what? They're thinking physical. They're not discerning. And you can't blame them because they can't discern. The disciples couldn't understand until after the resurrection. Now their eyes get open. Jesus opens their mind to understand the Old Testament. But the point is, they're not discerning. They don't have the capability. They don't have the Holy Spirit. That's the thing you got to pick up on. Yes, they're understanding he is the Christ. But they're putting their own interpretation of what the Christ is upon him. He's a king, right? And so then the crowds in Jerusalem, that's what they've discerned. Verse, verse 12, the next day on the Monday is when he rides into Jerusalem, which we call the triumphal entry. And look at the large crowd who had come to the feast. Verse 12, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of the palm trees, went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Hosanna means save us, Lord. We pray or we beseech thee. That's all in that word, Hosanna. Because Jesus, Jesus, right? Hosanna, the hose right there, the Jesus, the haze is that for salvation, right? So they're saying, save us. But what are they asking for? They're asking for Jesus to deliver us from the Romans. They have no concept of salvation, forgiveness of sins. They've got a temple. That's there. No, no, he's here. And actually, just a quick blurb here. I believe that's what they thought Lazarus was. One of his generals. He died and now Jesus came to bring him back because Lazarus was rich. If you're going to be the king, you're going to need generals. Yes, he's got the twelve. But Lazarus was very powerful. Lots of people were visiting him. Lots of people looked up to Lazarus and his family. So did they think that he was, are they thinking that Christ is king? Yeah, like King David. Yeah, right? Not discerning. No, because then what does he do? Finding a young donkey. He sat on it. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's coal. Well, my vision of a king is seated on a white stallion. Revelation 19, you know, give me something. No, he's coming in on a colt. But that's okay. He's our king. He's going to save us, right? They're not going to think this thing through. And, and as a matter of fact, the disciples, verse 16, didn't understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, when Jesus was resurrected, they remembered these things were written, that he had done these things. Now it comes to, okay, discernment time. But they didn't have it there, right? Who else was there? Then you got the Jewish leadership. What do they want to do? Well, verse 53, you know, from that day forward, after the resurrection of Lazarus, they planned together to what? To kill him. Now this guy has got to die, right? Um, chapter 12, verse 10. 
the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. We got to take out the general. We got to get rid of Lazarus as well. We, you know, if we just kill him, we've won, right? Well, a few days later, Matthew records the parable of the vineyard, chapter 21. Is, is that where I'm supposed to be? Yeah. Verse 33, it begins, but you know the parable of the vineyard, and he builds it and sets it all up and, and gives it to some renters, expects them to pay up. And that's who the Jews were. But then he decided, well, he sent people and they kept killing them, you know, sent them for the rent. But then afterwards, he, he sent his son to them saying, they'll respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said, this is the heir. Let's kill him and seize his inheritance. And then what verse am I looking for? Maybe I should look in my notes. See, I told you I'm going to be a basket case. But I'll be happier when Karen gets out of the hospital and, and joins us once again. Verse 45, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they understood he was speaking about them. They understood that he understood that they were plotting to kill him. But he wasn't running away from it. Not at all. The Jewish leadership is just, you know, I could say stupid, but they weren't. They were just ignorant. But God had shut that down so they couldn't understand because they're, they're lost in that world of darkness, right? Not willing to give up their position of authority. And then you got the Gentiles. Now, this is really cool because this one really bothered me for the longest time. I never really had a good answer, and they don't give you a good quote here. But we're studying on uh, Tuesday mornings, I believe it is, that we're studying Isaiah. No, we're studying First John Tuesday mornings at 6 o'clock in the morning. If you want to join us, just let me know. Uh, we're studying Isaiah on Thursdays at 6 o'clock in the morning as well. So, hey, if you don't like sleep, if you're doing an all-nighter, pop in, right? And uh, from Isaiah, I understand. Because in verse 20, there were some Greeks. This is in John chapter 12. There were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So they came, Philip and Andrew. And told Jesus, and Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This was like a, a, a trigger, right? This is, this is so important. Why? Well, in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 to, and 3, it will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, will be raised above the hills. All the nations will stream to it. Many people or peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah's got so many scriptures that, that point to the Gentiles are coming as well when the Messiah does show up one day. And, and I think this was the trigger 
And one of the neat ones is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Because in chapter 11, he's talking about the branch. He's talking about Jesus coming into the world. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. But then in verse 10, then of chapter 11 of Isaiah, in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. It, it kind of sounds to me, it was the signal. And that's why once, because Jesus doesn't visit with these guys, he simply says, the hours come. Time, it's time. I've got to do, I've got to die. So this is the week. Let's get on with it, right? So you see Mary, you see John, uh, the people, you see the crowd, you see the Jewish leadership, you see the Gentiles. They're understanding he is who he is, but they don't know him. And the point of the chapter is you've got to be discerning to know Christ. And I've got to be discerning to know the time. Uh, okay, three quick points. Jesus teaches us how to become discerning, to become discerning. Point number one, verse 24 to 26. Truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But it die, if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to, keep it to life eternal. Anyone, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, my servant will be. Also, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Yeah, a lot of stuff I just read out, right? But it's simple. What's he saying? You got to die to yourself. You got to be that grain of wheat. You've got to, um, you've got to hate your life. You've got to serve Christ, and you've got to follow Christ. Three simple things, right? That's all he's saying right there. And in Matthew chapter 16, and there's two or three other places that Jesus says the very same thing. And what does he say to the guys? Matthew 16, verse 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, I mean, you know, you know the thing. You got to die to himself. He must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's exactly what he's saying right here. You got to die to yourself. You got to take up your cross you got to lose your life and you got to follow me. He says that in three beautiful verses, right? You got to hate your life. Everything you've learned, spiritually speaking, religiously speaking, you got to divorce yourself from it. You got to flush it. You got to get rid of it. Paul calls it rubbish, right? That's what you got to do for everything you know, because Christ is the one with the answers and you don't bring anything to the table. You got to hate your life because you've been studying the scriptures and studying stuff up until now, and you're still not saved? Whatever age you come to, you're not saved? Man, I got to learn to hate that life, right? Don't love it and be like the Pharisees who said, no, we're going to stay in the temple. This is really good stuff. No, it isn't. And then you've got to serve Christ, which he teaches John in, or Peter at the end of John chapter 21. Serve Christ. How do you serve Christ? You know, feed the sheep, feed the lambs. Tend the sheep. Get into the word and learn to express it. And as you do, you grow, they grow. That's how you serve Christ. That's taking up your cross. And then follow Christ. 
Now, it's not, uh, I, I, I'm not too brilliant. I don't catch on very quickly. It's, it's not follow, follow. Or maybe it is for you. But to me, it was always, you know, okay. <laughs> He's up ahead and I'm sort of following him along, right? Well, it is that way, but how do you do it? I guess that's the point I'm trying to get to. You got to listen and obey the good shepherd. The shepherd, good shepherd goes ahead of his flock. And, and the sheep follow, not because they're looking and seeing which way he's going, because he's singing, he's talking, and they're listening to his voice, and they listen. You've got to listen intently to the voice of Christ, and then you've got to what? You've got to obey. I mean, sheep can still hear his voice wander off and get lost. If you're going to follow, you have to obey. <laughs> That's point number one, to become discerning, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Christ. Point number two, verse 34 to verse 36. The crowd said to him, you know, because Jesus said, if, if, if I am lifted from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And, and they say, well, you know, how can you say that? You know, because the law says that Christ is to remain forever. You can't die. Who is the son of man? You know, they don't understand the scriptures. So what does he say? For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light. I think he's trying to make a point here so that you may become sons of light. Yeah, he's making a, a point. Everything Jesus teaches is the truth. Everything you, you've learned in the past is darkness. And you've got to stay in the light in the teachings of Christ. He's turned on the light, right? And I kind of break this down into a little bit more, 37 to 43, because so you have to believe in the light, but, but you need to understand believing requires action. So Jesus went off and hid himself. But look at verse 37, though, though he had performed so many signs, yet they weren't believing. This was to fulfill the word of the Lord of Isaiah, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. For this reason, they could not believe, for Isaiah said he has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, that they would not see. And they're, See, so they were kind of innocent of their ignorance, but even after the resurrection, they didn't repent, as James was teaching us today concerning the Sanhedrin and all of that. They're, they're still sticking to their guns and staying in the ignorance. They weren't asking they weren't starting to listen to uh, the miracles, right? These things Isaiah said because he saw the glory and he spoke of him. Now look at 42. Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved the approval of of men so they believe hey but they're not going to act they're not going to obey they're not going to follow you know this goes with what uh james i believe chapter two because 
I've got James chapter two down. The demons believed, right? Even the demons believed in what? Uh, I know James could probably just quote it at me, obviously. But James chapter two, I need both of those verses. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons believe and shudder because they're not saved, but they believe. Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works? Your works don't save you. But if you don't have works, faith without works, it's dead. These guys believed. But for fear, they'd be put out of the synagogue. Now, this is kind of an interesting thought. For fear, they'd be put out of the synagogue. What's, what's wrong with, what's foolish about that? Because the synagogue is the world of darkness. It's the world of false teachings, of what the Old Testament is. Jerusalem, Israel is supposed to be a light to the nations. And they're simply a black hole. Because they don't understand. And then 44, Jesus is saying, look, you got to get out of it. He who believes in me doesn't believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world. There's that light again. So that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. They're afraid to leave the temple. They're afraid because they're, they're going to worship another God. And Jesus said, no, no, if you see me, you've seen God. If you know me, you know God. I'm the light. I've come so that you can see the Old Testament. I've come to change water into wine, to change the Old Testament's understanding into something of great value, because right now it is simply water and nobody cares to drink it. But now I'm going to turn it into the living word. You got to leave the old ways. Darkness is false teaching. What he's really saying here is, you know, he who believes me will not remain in darkness. He who believes in me will not remain in the temple, in Judaism. Isn't that why in Acts, there's only three things we bring out of the Old Testament to apply in the New Testament? You can't bring their teachings, right? Because they don't understand it. It's darkness. It's Verse 5, chapter 15, verse 15. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. I've turned on the light. I've explained everything. Or I mean, yeah, I've explained everything. You just haven't been able to do the click. You haven't got the John 3, 5, born of water and the spirit. You haven't got the click going yet, because you can't get the click until... Jesus dies, and then he can send the Holy Spirit. But here, if you understand that darkness is the temple, it kind of goes with Acts chapter 2 when we were talking about it was at the temple when the Holy Spirit came down and fulfilled them, right? And then they started to speak in tongues. It was at the temple that they did that. And then Peter said, they said, what do we need to do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. And then from that moment, they all started leaving the temple. 
because they were going to find the waters to get baptized. And there was 12 apostles who spoke 12 different languages. And then the people split up following the guy who spoke the language. And they all went off and got baptized 3,000 that day, right? 3,000 got baptized. But it's the visual that you need to see because the Jews are still coming, right? Because it's the day of Pentecost. They're coming to the temple and the, and the priests are all right there. Then all of a sudden, what's going on? 3,000 people are leaving. They're leaving the temple. Why? There's nothing there. It's darkness. They were going to go get baptized so the veil can be lifted so that they could see the truth. Why would they go back there? Well, they go back there, Acts chapter 4, because they that's where people who had ears to hear the Old Testament, that's the only reason why they went back there. Because there was people that are looking for God. You got to go find the people who are looking for God. That's pretty hard in this day and age. Not impossible, but it's pretty hard to find people who are looking for God. Because people have put him off on the shelf. They know who he is. They go to church on Sunday. But they haven't discerned what it means to make Christ king of your life. There's no discernment there. So you got to believe in the light. Don't bring anything to the table. The Bible interprets the Bible. Yeah, you can read commentaries and stuff like that. Yeah, if you want. Or you can lean on God and your brothers and your sisters and do the study yourself and, and trust in the Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom. That's the direction to really go. And now, 40, uh, now to finish this off, Okay, so you, you need to hate your life, deny yourself, take every cross, follow me. And then now what's he saying? Believe in the light. Believe in my understanding. Get away from all that other stuff. And then the last one is trust in God's word. Uh, there's so much to say, but we will jump to verse 47 to 50. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. We're not here to judge the world. We're not here to tell people, point out people's sins. We're here to point out the sins of each other. If you see your brother in sin, pull him aside one-on-one -on -one and, and talk to him about what you think you see, right? Yeah, we're here to help each other, to, but not the world. No. The world already knows it's lost. We're here to help save the world by teaching them that there is a better. There's a place that God is calling them to go. They can get all their sins forgiven. I don't point out their sins. But if they're not happy with this life, if they hate their life, opportunity, right? We're not to be judging. And that's what Jesus is saying. So as he's saying, 48, he who rejects me does not receive my sayings, has one who judges him. The word I spoke will judge him on the last day. What's the judgment? The judgment is the word of God. So the word of God's going to judge you on the last day. Did you discern it? Did you study it? Did you abide in it? Did you obey it? Because that's what's going to judge you on the last day. And if you have done those things, then you don't have anything to worry about. But if you haven't done those things, then you need to start to think about it. Are you a Christian only because you know who Christ is? But you don't know 
who Christ is. That's the discernment versus the ignorance. You stand upon the word of God because of what it says and has taught you. It has taught you how to get into the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that saved you. But the word of God teaches you how to get into the blood of Christ and continue to walk in the light as he himself and the blood of his son will continue to cleanse. But you got to get in the blood. Verse 49, I didn't speak of my own initiative, but the father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the father has told me. I don't create and or invent anything. I'm telling you what the Father has told me. And everything that's here that's written down comes from the Father. I'm just relaying it to you. And that's how we need to be as, as teachers to other people. We don't have any wisdom or insight. We're teaching you exactly what the Bible says. If what we're teaching does not correlate with the Bible, then correct us or get away from us. What we teach has to come from the scriptures. We don't create anything. We don't add to nor take away from the scriptures. That's what he's saying right here. So you got to trust in God's word. So he's got all these people discerning the office of, but they're not discerning who Christ is. And they can't until after the resurrection. But then after the resurrection, what Jesus is teaching here is three things for you to become a discerning disciple of Christ. Hate your life, serve Christ, follow Christ. Believe in the light. Trust in the word. Do not abandon the word of God. To believe Jesus is the Christ is the only is only the beginning. Now to discern what life means is your life. What 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 that means? What what does it mean that Jesus is Christ? Now you're doing a deep dive to figure that out and you've that's your constant discerning they thought that they thought killing the christ would end their problems it only empowered him to finish his work denying yourself doesn't end your problems it only empowers you to get on with your work because now you become a christian and you receive the Holy Spirit. And now you have the light. And you can see where you're going. Because now you can read and understand the scriptures. Do not focus on Jesus the man. Nor Jesus the king. But focus on Jesus the word of God. Who is our God. As John teaches in John chapter 1 verse 1. We can know, we know God by discerning his word. As he says in John chapter 8, 31, abide in my word, you will know the truth. The truth will make you free. And then one of my favorite verses of all time is John again, but over in 1 John chapter 5, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know. You just have to go discern that from this incredible word. And I believe that's what John chapter 12 is trying to teach us, to be discerning. Go beyond the fact that Jesus is the Christ. 
and get into that deep relationship with him by jumping into his word and learning to think the way he thinks and encouraging others to do the same. And that's John chapter 12. Thank you.